0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Amen this morning, church. Amen, somebody. God is good, and uh, all the time, God is good. Amen. Um, It is... Uh, privilege to stand before y'all and preach God's word. I want to say that before we open his word, open God's word, let me have a brief word in regard to where we are as a nation. I believe that uh, many of us have all been feeling the tension of this week. And, uh, and all of us have, um, all of us have been probably watching the news or some of us have, turned away from the news, but we know that um, in a nation that is obviously divided, the church should not reflect that division. Right? We should be at the forefront of trying to be a church that is united and uh, be an example of what it means to live in harmony. And although that we as a church do not endorse a political candidate or a party, um, it is appropriate for us to, to acknowledge history. There is a woman, it's the first woman that's been elected um, as the vice president and a woman of color, and I don't want to take that lightly. I want us all to recognize the historical moment that we live in, and in living in that, that should make us recognize what our role is and what we should do and how we should live, um, because, beloved, there is, so, there is still, it amazes me on how many first there still is. In a nation that has proclaimed to be post-racial, there's still a lot of first in our nation. And so as you reflect, just take time to um, acknowledge and speak to your children about this historic moment and what it means for so many of us. I will not give much attention this morning to the political aspects in terms of what I'm preaching. I want us to reflect on God's glory the king of glory, the one that we know who rules over all and unites all and keeps all in control. I want us to be encouraged by hearing about the greatness of God, not the greatness of the White House. And so understanding that I want to give undivided and supreme attention to God as we open our Bibles and continue our our series through uh, Yahweh, that Yahweh saves, and understanding that he saves, I think over the last couple of weeks, what you want to acknowledge is that uh, Michael Rhodes had preached about how we receive un- an unimaginable comfort through chapter 40, and an unimaginable comfort. And then Richard also helped us see that we should not reduce God to our circumstances last week, that we should not reduce God to our circumstances. There's been much context as to um, what we've been preaching over the last couple of weeks, if you had not been with us or tracking with us, I would suggest that you go back and listen to the sermons in order for you to understand the surrounding context of what's been happening from chapter one of Isaiah to chapter 39 leading up to this point and why the prophet Isaiah has written what he has written. And so as we go to God's word, I'll add some brief context as to where we are at, where we are. But I also want to encourage you to continue to listen to the sermons if you have not. We will be in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. If you have your Bibles open there, and if you are there, please say amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might He increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary, and they shall walk and not faint. This is the very word of God. In his book, Faith That Endures, Ronald Boyd Macmillan tells the story of a number of conversations that he's had with Pastor Wang Mingdao, one of China's most famous church pastors of the last century. The first time he met this famous and persecuted Chinese pastor, they they had the following interchange. Pastor Wayne said, "Young man, how do you walk with God?" And Mr. Boyd McMillan said, I listed off a s- set of disciplines such as Bible study and prayer, and I can assume many of us would say trying to do some kind of devotional or discipleship, etc, if we were asked the same question but there was a mischievous retort by Pastor Wayne. He said, wrong answer. To walk with God, must you must go at a walking pace. To walk with God, you must go at a walking pace. The words of Pastor Wayne touched Mr. Boyd McMillan so deeply to his core. He asked himself, how can I talk about Christian life as walking with God when I so often live a life as I sprint. Of course, we run with perseverance as the Bible tells us, the race marked out for us, but we may fail to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And listen to this, Jesus is inviting all of us to walk with him but too often we find ourselves running for him. There's a distinct difference. If I were to say it as we would say in modern day today, it hits a little different when you walk with Jesus. And the way that it hits different is an analogy that he goes on in his next interaction with Pastor Wayne who has been in prison for 20 some odd years who, for proclaiming Jesus in China. He said the cell became, his prison cell became the place of unchosen and unhurried time for Pastor Wayne. There was nothing to do but be in the presence of God, which he discovered was actually everything. And Mr. Boyd Macmillan summarized what he what he had learned from Pastor Wayne. He said, one of the keys to the faith of suffering of the suffering church is this, that God does things slowly. Look at the person the next to you and say, God does things slowly. Don't take your mask off. And he, and he works with our hearts. We are too quick and we have so much to do and so much, in fact, that we never really commune with God as he intends when he created Eden the perfect fellowship in the garden. For Pastor Wayne, persecution or the sale was in which he found himself was the place where he returned to a walking pace, slowing down, stilling himself, enough to commune properly with God. Beloved, I don't know if you've caught it so far, but I, I think that we, don't know how to walk at a walking pace. I, I don't think that we know how to slow down and walk with God. All too often, we remind, I think we remind myself of, of my six-year-old son wanting to walk ahead and pulling my hand instead of knowing that we will get to the destination as long as you just walk with your father. So in our struggle to walk with God, what happens is the temporal disappointments, the temporal disheartening heartening moments, the temporal despair oftentimes dictate the pace that we ought to walk with God. And in doing so, it overshadows God's greatness and the power and the presence of, uh, uh, of who he is over with our circumstances, and we tend to believe that God is absent or that he is slow to act. I'll say that again, that it is those disappointments, those disheartening moments, that despair, that overshadows. It doesn't conquer. It just blinds us. It overshadows the power and the presence of God. Our circumstances tend to do, it, which then we think God is either slow to act or he's absent from us. Here's the big idea for you to, wait, for you to understand this morning that, that the greatness of God is constant. It's been the same since the beginning of time. And it will remain the same when all time consummates. God's greatness is constant, which should cause us to move from despair to dependency and sensitivity to the power and the presence of God. The reason that should encourage us is because it says to us that whatever circumstances that we endure, they are all, they do not change or dictate what God does. He is not surprised he's not overwhelmed, he's not insecure, he is not befuddled, he's not perplexed, and he is not the one trying to figure out the solution. All the while, he understands what is going on. That speaks to the God that we serve. And in saying it, I'll say it this way, that when you are trying to move and understand that God does not change and he is absolutely constant, then our despair The the, the things of death and disease and persecution, financial distress and poverty, mental health, marital struggles, kids acting crazy, never feeling good enough, sexuality issues, addiction issues. I want you to fill in the blank of whatever that despair may be, whatever that not feeling good enough may be, whatever you may be feeling in that situation and understand that 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 despair must lead you must lead all of us to depend, and be sensitive to the power and the presence of God. Why? It is because God is not a life wrath in the situations that we're drowning in oftentimes. God is the one that is the controller of the waves, the water, and the entire ocean. He's created it, and therefore, he is the one that can be not a life wrath, but your rescuer. He is the one that can pull you out of the quicksand. He is the one that can hold you up. He is the one that can do the miraculous things will cause individuals to walk on water. He is the God of all, and that is the God that we worship. But how does our text teach us to depend on God and be sensitive to his power and his presence? What does our text tell us this morning? I think Isaiah, within his prophecies, help the children of God. Because being in captivity... Understanding that he has prophesied about what has happened. You can read about that in the end of, of chapter 39. That the Babylonian people will take Israel into captivity. And in taking them into captivity... All they can know is all they understand is that Isaiah has been preaching judgment, but also Isaiah has, too, been preaching, has prophesying a hope. And because Isaiah prophesies, he he does assume that his readers and or hearers knew that the Babylonians would be conquered by the Persian Empire. Because you have to remember, by this time, Isaiah is not physically there preaching and proclaiming these prophecies. The miraculous thing here is that Isaiah has passed away and yet one view is Isaiah's disciples or people that have followed him are the ones that are reading the scrolls and see, and proclaiming what Isaiah's seen, what God gave Isaiah to see years, decades ahead of time. I, I, I think the Jewish people who suffered in or were held under captivity were able to maintain their civic and institution, institutions and cultural practices. There was not much change, but we also have to acknowledge being in captivity, they too adopted cultural norms. That's important as we continue to talk about this because they were influenced by Babylonian idolatry. We heard about that last week. And then even married cross-culturally and much more. In fact, scholars would say that the Jews had had taken names of Babylonian, the last names of Babylonian gods, and the sons of Babylonians would take the last name of the Yahwistic God, or Yahweh, the Lord's name. Thus, it's important to know that there is a real sense in which their captivity caused them to doubt God, not depend on God to feel despondent, not depend on God. To feel as if in their solace and silence, that, God, that they could not be sensitive to the power and the presence of God. See, the way that this helps us is God, this prophecy throughout the entire chapter has said that you ought to relearn the truth that you possess and experience God in every facet of life. Those are the two points. Learn, relearn the truth that you possess and experience God in every facet of life. How do we relearn the truth you possess? How can you do this? You know how you can do this is understand the God that you serve. Know him, knowledge of God. Some of us can go as intellectually as we'd like to, with epistemology. Some of us can keep it as basic as we'd like to. The simple fact of knowing the absolute truth of God, and I want to keep it neutral, in saying that what we see in verse 27 helps us to know that the children of God struggled. He called, he says, why, O Jacob? Why why speak, O Israel? Oftentimes, I'd like to think that Jacob would remind them that they had a father who is the father of Israel that was faithful to God. And then Israel, naming who they are. Sometimes when somebody calls, a parent calls their child's name, they say the full, they may say their name or they may say that full name or that last name in order for them to know who you are. And this is what he says. Oh, Jacob. Oh, Israel. Stop complaining. Why are you complaining? And this is what they say. My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. I like the fact that they said it's my God, but these accusations toward God are theological and second experimental. I want you to follow with me now. Don't don't go to sleep. Israel believes that God has turned a blind eye or cannot see their circumstances. If you have ever been poor, or you may be poor now, I guarantee there are times you Do not believe that God sees and or hears your circumstances. You don't have to be poor. If you have lost a loved one, if you are feeling the pressures of life, if you are confused and struggling mentally, I believe that you too can feel as if your way and your regard for who you are is hidden from God. That he's disregarding you. That he is not hearing you. They is slow to act to where you are. And Israel believes that he has ignored them and dismissed their case for justice. Many of us can relate to that. I don't care what phase of life you are. If you come from a low-income area or if you live in a high-income lifestyle, it does not matter. The fact of the matter is is that you have at one point in the time in your life accused God of not being there. And if you have, God is saying, theologically, have you not in in twenty eight to the people of Israel? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you forgotten? Have you have you not listened to the words that were preached? See, this relearning, this idea of relearning is some of us will look at these rhetorical devices or rhetorical questions and say to ourselves, Why is he asking them that? It is because in captivity, they could have forgotten who the God that they serve. They could have adopted idols, they could have adopted realities and forgot who they, the God that they serve. I believe we do that. Some of us, depending on where you come from, can, be, can fall into conspiracies and can fall into so many different things that you begin to merge those things in with the Bible. The Bible doesn't need to be merged with anything that human beings comprehend. This is why he says that the understanding of God is unsearchable. I don't care if you believe aliens flew from the sky or flew from somewhere else. It does not mean that the Bible has changed does not mean God has changed. The reality is, is that God is a God who is, who has made himself known through his truth and made himself heard through his truth. And see, their despondency, and it is just that, their despondency has impeded that truth or their idea of that truth. So every time you come to church, what happens is, oh, I'm just going to church to listen to something else. I'm just going to hear another word. I'm just going to consume something. But the idea of you relearning is the idea of you humbling yourself to know that God has given you a truth to possess, but he also is the one that cultivates that truth. Not you and your own intellect. Not you and your own ability. Not you and how you overcome things. Not you and how you have not faced things. It is the reality that whatever you are going through in life, whatever you have to, however you need to perceive life, whatever worldview you have, whatever ideology, the uh, 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 idea, ideological views that you may have God is saying I am here to help you relearn truth because sometimes you can forget that I am here's here's what Isaiah says the God of eternity an everlasting God sometimes you can forget that he is the God who is the creator of the ends of the earth As you're cutting your grass, you think it's your grass, but you forgot that God made the soil that you walk on. Sometimes you go outside and you smell fresh air, and sometimes you forget that it's the God that even though the ozone ozone layer may have some issues, he's the one that is able to give you a little clean air to breathe. Sometimes you forget that it's the God that is giving you the ability to appreciate the birds chirping. He's giving you the ability to see with your own eyes. He's giving you the ability, no matter what age you are, to walk and run, to look and see to have all of your faculties. And for those who don't have all of their faculties, he's giving you the ability to sustain, to breathe, and live in life. But sometimes we don't appreciate the truth, therefore we have to relearn the truth that we possess. I don't think I have nobody in the house this morning. If I was on virtual, then I'd just say amen to myself. But it's it's about five of y'all in here, at least I can get two of them. But he does not, not only is he a God that is teaching us about his nature, he's a God that is, he does not grow faint, nor does he grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. Downtown church and the people of Israel, this is what we ought to realize is that a God that is transcendent, it is a God that is also imminent. Both are true at the same time. And in, in I'll say it this way, God is bigger than the issues you face in life. But yet he is also close in understanding and able to comfort you amid the pain and the suffering in life, amid the confusion that you have in life. Some of y'all are saying, I, I don't go through much pain, Mike, but oftentimes you are confused. I don't go through much sorrow, Mike. I haven't grown up in a way in the world or, or in, a, in a way that I've, I've felt those pressures. I would say that you've grown up doubting yourself at times. Not believing that you're good enough. Some of the things that you, that you find yourself addicted to, you're addicted to them because you suppress so much of your pain and your hurt. Relearning. This idea of truth is to understand that God in his bigness and God in his intimacy is a God that cares for you no matter your self-pleasure, no matter your hurt or your sorrow. And I want you to understand in the context of what they have, this God who is the creator of the ends of the earth and is infinite and he is unsearchable in his ways, he makes it known that the Babylonians are not beyond his power. Babylonians are not beyond his vision. The Babylonians are not beyond his sovereign rule. Why is that important for you, beloved? It's important because I want to say this, and I want you to believe this and hear me as you learn from this prophecy. It is that you cannot dictate the adversity that you face in life. You can't dictate. But what you can do is that you can relearn the truth that is given to you by God in order to endure the adversity in life. That's that's a part of the application that we can take from this particular text. So no matter if you come from the ghetto, the guttermost to the uttermost, no matter if you're stuck in your addiction, no matter if you've fallen victim to the lust of your heart, the fact is God is not perplexed nor is he defeated by the adversity. He's creator and he is beyond time. Sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But I guarantee that it is appreciative when you're able to just remind yourself, relearn this truth, find yourself adopting this reality, believing it. Belief gives you the power to continue to trust in God. Not only is he a God that is creator of everything, the ends of the earth, beyond time, does not grow faint or weary, relating to us who do grow faint and weary, and we'll get to that later in the text, but I want you to see this, that in order for us to relearn this truth that you possess, you have to continue to abide in God. Because the faintness and the weariness is an indicator that life does happen. I learned this when my mama died. I began I, I, I to, she was laying in the hospital bed and the chaplain pulls us out of the room, what I did was I pulled my Bible out of my backpack and I began to survey the works of God, right? They're called the doctrines of God. And I, and I begin to look in the Bible where God did some healing and God did some miracle work. I don't think you gotta be charismatic to believe that God still works today. I believe that you just have to be a Bible believing God to see that God in his immutability can still do supernatural things. And so I believe that God could just change the trajectory of my mother at that point. But I, I, what I didn't know was that God had a different plan. But as I was going through, I was relearning what I already possessed. Not, and I, what I walked away from that, not so I can go in and that her situation may change, but at least I can be comforted knowing that one truth is that when she left that body, she would be with Jesus. Even though I didn't want to believe that truth, it was the truth that I had to abide by. Now, if you're tracking with me this morning, I am saying that in order to relearn truth, it's not always going to sound like what you want it to sound like. It's, always, it's not always going to be what you want it to be. It's always not going to look like you want it to look. It's always not going to feel like you want it to feel. It's not going to be what you want it to be. Because it's God's truth, not your truth. And one thing that I walked away from that is understanding that life does not wait on me. And life doesn't change. Because I still had to go home to paying bills. Still had to go home. To the, to the regular things that I had going on in life. I still had to figure out where I would live. I still had to figure out some of the normal things. Nobody cared about my situation. Nobody was trying to make sure that I needed a year off to make sure that I was good. Nobody did that. So just like Pastor Wang, I had to find myself in that unhurried moment, in that unchosen moment, and I had to walk a little slower because I wanted God to move at a quicker pace. But I'm telling you right now that life does not move quick simply because you're hurting. Life doesn't move quick simply because we're going through a pandemic. Life doesn't move quick simply because we have things going on in our nation. Life moves according to the creator, uh, the, the creator of the ends of the earth and the one that has begin time and started time beyond time, the God of eternity. So when you think about this, I want you to understand that the psalmist helps us because this idea where you would think about what's objective and what's subjective and what feels and what's fake and what's absolute and what's conditional, a truth that is groundless is not a truth that we possess. A truth that is Standing on the ground in Christ alone is a truth that we ought to relearn and that we possess, and the psalmist helps us with this. Because in Psalm 119, if you ever wanna spend time reading a psalm to help you relearn the truth, I'ma just read off a couple of the psalms from Psalm 119, 12, where he says, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your commands. Isn't it funny that the psalmist needed to to relearn truth there? Oh, 119, 26, he says, when I told you of my ways, you answered me, teach me your commands. Again, he wants to relearn Psalm 119, 64. The earth, O oh Lord, is the fullness of your steadfast love. Teach me your statues. Psalm 119:68. you are good and do good. Teach me your commands. And Psalm 119, 08, accept my freewill offering of praise. Even in a moment of praise, O oh Lord, teach me your rules. And then in Psalm 119:171, 171, he says, my lips will pour forth praise for you. Teach me your commands. Isn't it funny that the psalmist had to make sure that he needed to relearn the truth that he possessed? Because God didn't change, but his situations might have. God didn't do any, God didn't move somewhere else, but he may have. But the psalmist let it be known that as long as he was able, no matter the situation, in offering praise, in doing good in hardship, that God would teach him his commands. We ought to relearn the truth that we possess, and then we ought to experience God in every facet of life. Again, you don't have to be charismatic in order to experience God. You don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to see a, a ghost leave a human body. You don't have to do an exit. Uh, I can't even say the word right now. You don't have to, you don't have to cast out a, da- a demon in order to know that God, you can still experience God. It was in Lausanne, in the Lausanne movement, which was create. they created a, a video series called More Than Dreams, okay? More Than Dreams. Muslims coming to Christ through dreams and visions to document the phenomenon that occurred in the Muslim world. This is what happened. They were, they, there were many who never heard of the gospel in these Muslim countries, these closed countries as they would call them. They never heard the gospel preached but they would experience God through dreams and visions. And the people who were the most hostile in the faith towards Christians, Christians, they were the ones who would proclaim Christ unashamedly. I believe our spiritual lives can oftentimes become a museum where the artifacts of faith are merely laminated ideas in which we believe that God once did and he can no longer do. And as we walk through the museum of spirituality, what happens is we say, God once did that. Oh, look at what God did then. God God did that then as if we cannot experience God where we are now. When you think about these Muslims, what they teach us is that God does things when we are open to his word, when we are open to him when we are ready to ask him to to reveal himself in, in the classroom where you teach, in the boardroom where you begin to dictate, in the hospital where you're working on patients, with the home healthcare where you're serving your patient, the engineer as you are engineering new things, the musician as you're creating melodies, no matter where you are, God, you can experience God. But the question is, do you want to? Do you want to experience God or do you want to keep him as an intellectual, as an intellectual uh, 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 thought? And I believe this, not, this is not necessarily Israel's issue in terms of keeping them intellectual. Their issue is, is that they felt that they were disregarded. Their issue is, is that they felt that they were disregarded, but we're, here's where I believe we relate. We relate because we say to ourselves, we protect ourselves if we don't look to experience God. Let me continue to move and process through this. I believe what Isaiah is helping us to see is that God doesn't abandon us. Look at the powerful illustrations in the next couple verses. In 29, he gives power to the faint. Hmm. To him who has no might, he increases his strength, even use who shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall, ex- fall exhausted. Here's the picture the picture is that young men who were actually, ca- who were actually uh, 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 recruited to be in the military at the time were perceived to be the top notch. We're perceived to be individuals who were the most fit and the most suited and the most well prepared. But he is saying even the most well prepared and from your human perspective, they will grow faint and weary and they will be exhausted because they need spiritual. They need nourishment. They need their bodies need rest. But I'm a God who is able to do things that is exceeding and abundant above all that you can think and or ask. He illustrates this power. Because he is saying also that he is the same God, look at 30, uh, 31, but they who wait, what happens? He renews their strength. They mount up with wings like eagles. Where's that language coming from? Exodus chapter 19, 4. So what is God, what is Isaiah trying to do? Isaiah is actually trying to do this. He is saying this, there is a long history that you have with God. And in having that long history with God, you may have forgotten that he delivered Israel out of the bondage of captivity under Pharaoh. You may have forgotten that he actually gave Moses the ability to befuddle all of the musicians, magicians at that time, or their wizards at that time. He's the same God that was able to be the God that conquered Baal. See, what he does is he goes down and helps them to remember some of the things through oral tradition that they should have remembered. And when you forget what God has done, what happens is you forget that you've ever experienced him, that your ancestors ever experienced him, that you don't understand what happened. So for me, what happens is when I watch the Harriet Tubman movie and I see a woman who could never read what's called the Black Moses, but God had given her visions to get all the way to Philadelphia from the South, it said to me that God can still move even on a plantation. When people and themselves who said that God couldn't do something in your life or change you where you are transform your heart you have to go down the long history and look at yourself and when you were a sinner and you did not want to believe in God to where you are now young people you may say I never knew a day without knowing Jesus but I want to tell you one day you didn't obey your parents you didn't listen to them well you ain't got it all together and you get some spanking sometimes and when you recognize that you were you were one place and that God is taking you somewhere you can experience him out of infancy you can experience him the tomb god is a god who wants to be relational to his people and the point that i want to emphasize out of this text because i can take all day doing this is the fact that we must wait it was hb charles in his book that he had on prayer what happens in prayer hb tells the story of a woman who went down to the neighborhood produce and she went down to the neighborhood produce everybody was in line being served, service perfectly fine And she waited patiently as she got to the line. Her person came up to her and she said, and she asked, what do you want? I want some grapes. And she asked, she said, just wait one minute and go back and get the grapes. Time had passed and people had been served and people had went on ahead. And see, I know some of us are saying, I can't barely wait in traffic. I can't wait. I get tired when the McDonald's people tell me, hold on, wait just a minute. I can't wait. What I know is when I can't wait, I get a little frustrated. I get a little agitated. So what happens is sometimes I move over to the other line, and then they hit the lane closed, so I get mad at that. And then I got to move back to the other line. I don't have patience in, as, a, as a person today. Amen, somebody. And with, with this story, she actually, the, the lady was looking at her watch, and she said, I, I don't know why everybody else is being served. I don't know why everybody else is being taken care of. I don't know why I have to wait this long just for my little old grapes. I'm ready to go. And as she was ready to go, the person came with her grapes from around the corner, and she was trying to figure out what took so long, and the person told her, I just wanted to pick out the finest grapes for you. Sorry that it took so long. She took a bite of her grapes, and the sweet, in the Juiciness of the grapes was so miraculous for her. She said, Oh my goodness, this was something to wait for. All I want to say is that God is saying that we are renewed in our strength and we're increased in our strength so that we may wait on Him, not so that we can move faster. I, I, I think that that is, that, is, that is helpful for us because the idea and the notion of experiencing God is so that we can get something in life. Many of us have heard those sermons of you experience God in order for something to happen for you. That's not true for your business to bloom, for you to get that new marriage, for you to get that relationship, for you to get that car. Isn't it funny that when you wait on them waiting on God, they get nothing but God. Their strength is renewed, their increase. You see the picture of them mounting with wings. It's this idea is that God is empowering his people. Giving them the ability not to grow weary. It's this picture of God and the experience that God has given them. The ability to supersede some of the things that they will have to endure. This is a picture of the God that we serve. Here's one last thing that I'll leave us with. If you really believe that you are a depraved individual, meaning that you have absolutely nothing to offer to God completely broken, completely sinful. You can learn from our disability community. There was one brother named Patrick Henry, he says, I I don't see my, my disability as a disability, I see it as abilities. He couldn't see when he was born, couldn't hear like he needed to, but he was able to exercise and have extraordinary gifts in other aspects in life that allowed him to flourish not because of what he lacked, because of what he capitalized on. You're not a perfect individual. Your dependency and sensitivity to the power of God, power and presence of God, is hinged upon God being constant and great, not how great you will be. Every sermon you hear about you being great, I want you to go ahead and read and go through that sermon because it's not about you being great. Every sermon that you hear about you being something, it's not about you being something. I believe that the Bible says that the chief end of man is to glorify God. And enjoy him forever, not glorify Mike Davis and enjoy my abilities, not glorify Richard Reeves, not glorify Sir Gregory, not glorify Alex, not glorify Danielle Shelley, not glorify Jackie, but to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Beloved, I just want to pray, God, help us to enjoy you, Lord. Help us to see that we are a people who need you. And the more that we're dependent upon you, the more that we're sensitive to to where you are, we can wait and we can trust. We can be patient and Lord, we can be fervent in prayer. That it is not merely about how many Bible studies that we do, how much discipline that we got. I pray that some of us reorient our hearts and our minds in order for us to walk at a slower pace. And as you slow us down, Lord, I pray that we are able to Appreciate you, love you, and care about you and you alone. For it is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. All God's people said together. Amen. Let us continue to experience God through our offering. Let us worship with him. You can text Downtown Church, all lowercase, 723, 72356. Uh, the slide should come up on there, uh, right on the screen, 73256. Amen.